turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Weekday evenings on FM 101.5 and AM 1400, The Patriot. It's 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood. Host Daryl Wood brings you the day's news and trending topics as only he can with a unique blend of conservative opinion, constitutionalism, and thought-provoking analysis. Join the conversation. 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood. A daily look at the news in a way you won't hear anywhere else. Tune in to 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood on FM 101.5 and AM 1400, The Patriot. Or stream at PatriotDetroit.com. You are in, in what part of the country? Southwest Colorado. Wonderful. How are you picking us up? Oh, I stream you guys on my uh, iPhone every day. Fantastic. Um, I, I am a resident of Sterling Heights, but uh, I frequently come to Southwest Colorado. I am just thrilled to be hearing from you out there in Colorado. Continue to listen, tune in again, and call at your earliest convenience. Godspeed. Run to Win with Daryl Wood, Monday through Friday at 4 p.m. on Faith Talk Detroit. Welcome to the Jewish Hour. I'm your host, Herschel Finman. We've got a wonderful show for you today. In this week's hour, in this half hour of the show, we're going to feature an interview with noted radio columnist Rabbi Y.Y. Rubenstein, who recently quit his position at the BBC. And we're going to be talking about what's life at the British Broadcast Corporation. In the second half of the hour, we will be featuring and highlights of the portion of Beshalach, which is chapter 14 and further in the book of Exodus. We've got wonderful Jewish music sprinkled throughout the show, an awesome Hasidic story at the end. And before you do anything else, let's go right to the news. <laughs> Two IDF soldiers were killed in a helicopter crash off the coast of Haifa in training exercises. The IDF found that the cause of the, of the crash was a fire in the engine. Jerusalem's Post's website was hacked on the anniversary of top Iranian general's death. The newspaper's homepage was replaced with a picture of Iranian General Qassam Soleiman and threatened Israel's Demona nuclear plant. New York police are looking for two people in the Williamsburg section of Brooklyn who pushed a 26-year-old man to the ground and beat him with sticks, sending him to the hospital. Israel is opening its doors once again to Americans starting next week. Yay! Tourists from the U.S. have been banned from traveling to Israel since the beginning of November due to uptick in COVID in the United States. And finally, a judge in Brazil fined American Airlines $1,800 for not providing kosher meals 
for two passengers who had been assured that they would receive meals on a long-distance flight. And that's the news. Why go to a hospital to get healthy? At Encompass Healthcare, you get the state-of-the-art wound care like in a hospital. The same medicines, the same everything without being in a hospital. Why put yourself at risk of getting a hospital-borne infection? Did you know that last year, one in six people died in America because of infections they got in hospitals? Encompass Healthcare is an outpatient facility. That means you get your wound care treatment and then go home. There are no wait times at Encompass Healthcare like in ERs. Healthcare is personal and works better, faster, and easier. Encompass Healthcare provides a state-of-the-art outpatient facility close to where you live. Call 248-624-9800. That's 624-9800. Auto accident, workman's comp, and most insurance is accepted. Encompass Healthcare's goal is to get you healthy with as little disturbance to your daily activities. Call 248-624-9800. Herschel Finman here. You are listening to the Jewish Hour. We are online with Rabbi Yehudi Yona Rubinstein, known in, in the British world as Rabbi YY who recently resigned from that position, and we're going to be talking about life in the BBC. How are you today, Rabbi Rubenstein? Uh, well, it's snow here in New York. What's, what's it like with you? It's just cold, but it's winter time, so it's, you know... Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, my, yeah my, my daughter, who is in, currently in Florida, is just gloated and said it's 85 degrees, you know, so <laughs> it's, if you want warm, you go to a warm place, and if you don't mind okay. the cold, so okay. it's, it, it is what it is, it's, you know, God made it, the world. It, it is indeed. Yeah, yeah you know, I, I do understand, you're you're from from Great Britain, from Britain, and... Uh, I'm actually from Scotland. Oh, that's even even better, so yeah. the, uh, but the, when the pilgrims came here, they were terribly shocked in 1620 by the... Mag- intensity of the of the New England winter. They had never seen such snow and cold, and yes. hence we have Thanksgiving, which they celebrated in October, which which we do in thank in uh, in November because it's more convenient. But anyway, so mm-hmm. you got you made big news this week um, because you resigned your position. But let's go back. You've been involved with the BBC, the British Broadcast Corporation, for some 30 years. How did, how did you get yep. involved with doing that? Well, I mean, originally, um, it was very much like we're doing now. Local, small radios, uh, stations. I mean, not national. I'm sure you're huge um, where you are. But uh, I, I was invited on to say something. I had a sense of humor, and it went well. And then I became a regular in, in a small radio station. And then Man- in Manchester, there's BBC Manchester, which is the BBC's coverage of the whole region, and then became invited onto that. And it just kept, the more you were able to do and more successful at doing things, uh, the more you got invited up and up the, the feet chain until I ended up in national radio, which is huge in the UK. Americans find that a bit surprising that radio is so huge, but the Today programme and BBC's Radio 4, their talk station, is listened to um, the news, that's the main news programme, is listened to by something like 16 million people out of a population of 60. That's where they get their news. So the Queen listens to it, the Prime Minister listens to it, the intellectuals listen to it. So that's that's where I ended up. And uh, at that point, it was then TV, and it just... 
And as you probably know, the, the media, at least in the UK, is very incestuous. If they find a rabbi who can broadcast, then everybody wants them because you don't want to experiment with a new guy who might be able to do the job. You just want somebody who can. And that's why I find myself appearing in TV and radio, national TV and radio, almost every week, something or other. Uh -huh. So you, you didn't have a show of your own, per se, but you were sort of like, they go, who's, who's, who's our, excuse me, Ollie, who's our go-to Jew? Was that sort of like your, right. your, your position? <laughs> That's right. Uh, it's actually quite funny because I would say I'm Scottish. And, uh, you know, I would come into a TV studios in the, in the early days, and they would have been expecting to see, I suppose, a cartoon rabbi with a long black beard, or white beard, um, and, uh, and who sort of said, hello, it's great to be here on the show. Uh, it was sort of like thick. Uh, accent, uh, Jewish accent, and I walk in with my Scottish accent, wearing a grey suit and a, a small trim red beard, and they were saying, Ugh. "Wait, <laughs> wait, wait, wait! Let's, like let's, 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 let's switch this to just kibbutz. Let's, let's back up it. Could you, could you do that, that Jewish accent again for me one, one more time? Well, this, this is a London Jewish accent already. Uh, well, you know, oh, they anti-Semitism, terrible. Uh -huh, okay. So, <laughs> I would call it an English accent per se, but because in America, in in America, in America, the old men. I remember. I remember when I was twelve years old. I came home from shul. Twelve. I came home from shul, and I asked my. I had been in shul, and I asked my mom, "Mom, when I'm when I'm an old man, am I going to talk like this? Because the only old men that I ever knew all talk like that. The hell has that accent? So, am I going to get it? Am I going to get an accent like that? So brilliant, brilliant. She just howled. She just howled. It was indeed okay. So you're you're. Was this sort of like? Did were you able to like make a living doing this, Rabbi Wyway? No, 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 no. My, my main job was I was the official campus rabbi for the fourteen universities in the northwest of England. So my main job was looking after about three thousand Jewish students every year over twenty three years. So that was Manchester University, Liverpool University, and their medical schools. And my job was to look after the welfare of the students, fight anti-Semitism. I was very busy. Um, and uh, and also, you know, teach Jewish stuff. And so mm -hmm. that was, I was quite successful. Yeah, my daughter, Tivia, did a year in Salford. I wonder if she came across your path. Oh, that was one of my universities. Yes. Maybe you know the Silverstones. Everybody knows the Silverstones, right? Yes, I know the Silverstones. <laughs> I guess everybody knows the Silverstones in Manchester. Everybody knows the Silverstones, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where she stayed. Anyway, so uh, if you're just joining us, our guest today is Rabbi Yehuda Yonah Rosen Rubenstein. He, he is the uh, best known for quitting the GBC at this point in his career, but we're going to get up to that point. Okay, so you're doing this for... A long time. It's close to 30 years that you're the, the go-to rabbi for the BBC. Mm -hmm. I started listening to the BBC, um, I want to say 1984, when I moved to okay. Australia. And when there was the choice of the ABC News or the BBC News, and ABC was like, chach. And so the other, the other, the other option was the because the ABC News, the Australian Broadcasting Company News, was very, very parochial, and I really didn't care how many cows escaped from Darwin. It, it was, it was, it was very no. It was, it was just too much. And so we we sent and we got the BBC for it. It's what the one the station that we were able to was carried down in Australia. So. 
they were always anti-Israel. There was always this anti-Jewish slant. It wasn't something new. And people were always comment that the baby, oh, the BBC, they're just might as well be called the PBC, the Palestinian Broadcast Corporation. So didn't you notice that 30 years ago? No. Is that true? Yeah, of course. Um, um, the BBC has a certain distinct prejudice. Um, why I was... It's interesting. When I, when I resigned this, this week, and I put this on my Facebook page, uh, there was literally 800 people, uh, you can check it out, you know, just applauding me. But some people were very angry, and they wrote to say, you should have stayed to fight. And I think we missed the point, and I've been staying to fight for over 30 years. Um, there comes a point where you just feel that you're being a little bit naive in fighting, uh, or maybe even if you're not naive, but there comes a point where walking away is fighting more effectively than staying. So I, I was there, and was the go-to rabbi. That allowed me, along with Chief Rabbi John, John Sachs, I should say, another shaman, um, the only two Orthodox rabbis who appeared in the BBC, um, allowed me to have a voice and sometimes say things and be part of the, the inside track and to sometimes make protests, which they, which worked. Certainly Jonathan Sachs is, is far more effective at that than I as the chief rabbi. Um, but so that, I did have that role. My prim- primary role was just to do the job well so that Jews were seen to be nice people, good people, which of course we are. Uh, I think it's my primary goal. Secondly, I certainly did fight the good fight, but I think the the recent incident is one where I couldn't even even to make to fight on behalf of the Jewish people. The frankly, the stench of anti-Semitism, anti-Semitism, no longer hiding as criticism of the state of Israel or anti-Zionism, and they would of course argue that they're not anti-Zionism, but. at least if they were hiding it in, in denial, there was a semblance of, um, of self-delusion you could uh, smile weakly at. But what happened last week, um, or the, the struggle brought the camels back, I no, longer, I, I no longer felt I wanted to fight. Okay, I, I got it. I'd make, I'd make a, bigger, a, a bigger splash, make a more effective statement by walking away, I didn't in any way anticipate it because the international, which took international reaction from Newsweek to being touched by Australia, back to your cows, um, certainly Israel, and of course in the UK itself. Um, and, Detroit, and Detroit, oh, Michigan. Yes, indeed. And, let's, and Detroit, Michigan. Let, let's back up. Before we, talk about, before we talk about la- last week, who yeah. I was, at one point, maybe I was really under the impression that because it's called the British Broadcast corporation, that it was an arm of the state, and the policies that were set in their broadcasting were determined by the British government. Is that not true? Mm, Well, like all good Jewish answers, yes and no. Um, To a certain degree, I mean, it's interesting, for everything that I've got to criticize of the BBC, I have to tell you. Uh, that having since I moved here ten years ago, uh, they are absolutely angelic compared to, um, let's say, the New York Times, um, uh, the Washington Post, 
uh, and um, you know uh, uh, the radio shows which are under the uh, the umbrella of things like uh, you know in, you know the I can't NP- remember what was it N- NPR yeah all these uh, so-called PBS I mean all, you know the whole public broadcasting thing they make no attempt to cover their political prejudice. And they don't have to. You see, the thing is, the difference is, the UK, there is laws that broadcasters have to be objective. You can have an opinion piece, but when you're reporting the news, you have to be objective and you have to be truthful, or you're in breach of your license and technically can lose your license. So that puts certain legal, governmental constraints on the BBC to behave. Secondly, the BBC is funded by the government, or actually the British people, because everybody is taxed. If you want to watch a TV in the UK, you have to buy a licence, which goes to fund the BBC. So they have certain perceptions of accountability. They are they're wary generally how far they can sw- you know, stray from the, the line because there will be repercussions. Now, that doesn't uh, apply in American broadcasting, which is a pity. Uh, it should Okay, let me, journalists should try to be objective. Let me, let me give you an example of what I mean. Okay, an incident happens sure. in Israel. So Aretz yeah. Shever, which is an Israeli uh, right-wing yeah, news outlet, would report, yeah, yeah. would report the article as Arabs rioted in City X. Yeah. Two Arabs, two, two Arabs were shot by, uh, in response, two Arabs were shot by the IDF. That's how the Aretz Shever right. would, would respond. The yeah. BBC would yeah. respond, would, would title it, IDF soldiers shot two Arabs in response to a riot that they were having. So it's like, yeah. okay, you can call that objective, but you can see where the emphasis at this point is. is, is oh, 100%. On the, no doubt. You, you get what no I'm trying doubt. to say. You, you're, yeah, you're 100% right. I, again, let's say that you, you just made my point. They, they, they'll do as much because they have a prejudice. And I, I spoke about this a lot this uh, this this, uh, this week. The BBC is a culture. It's a club. It's an elite. You are extremely privileged to be able to join it because you're amongst, frankly, some of the best broadcasters and most talented people in the world. And that's that's you know clear. Um, but their prejudice and their bias and their members, their, their conditions for membership of the club, is a left wing bias. Whenever you go to the BBC. Whenever you're sitting in their canteen, when people are relaxing, they're always reading the Guardian newspaper. Um, that is an absolute prerequisite for being a BBC guy. That is, you read the Guardian. Now, the Guardian makes the New York Times look pro-Israel. Of course, the New York Times gets a lot of its articles from the Guardian, so you can guess where that's going. Uh, but basically, it has a left-wing agenda. It has a left-wing bias, which they would deny furiously. Um, however, and do deny furiously, but having worked there for 30 years, I give you countless of examples that prove that that's a complete lie. And privately, of course, they'll admit it, but they are prejudiced, and their prejudice is certainly, and it seems, uh, if you buy the line that anti Zionism is somehow distinct and different from anti Zionism, I'm afraid you and I disagree. Uh, I've never seen any distinction. I, I can understand intellectually you could argue there is such a distinction. I've never seen it. I've never come across an anti-Zionist who wasn't at core an anti-Semite. So they will admit to an anti, privately an anti-Israel bias, 
been denied passionately we have an anti-Semitic bias. But this recent event shows clearly they do. But there are many other events as well. Okay, so it's kind of like sort of like in this week's portion, I've been talking this week that what had been if, say, the last plague had been the first plague, what would have been the deal? The first, pl- the last plague, the killing of the, for- the, for- the firstborn. It's like so terrible. And Pharaoh comes out in the middle of the night in his pajamas and tells all the Jews, leave right away immediately. What would have been if it would have been the first plague? It would have, the whole plague lasted an instant. People would have said, oh, people died. Go back to work, please. It was the straw that broke the camel's back, quite literally. Yeah. What was so unique, if, let's, if you can discuss the particulars, we kind of sort of mentioned it last week on the show when it happened in reporting the news. We have a little section where we, and anti-Semitic incidents around the world reported. What was it that was suddenly uh, like uh, tickled your, your, your nose to, to wake up and, and act as you did and respond as you did? A group of uh, it was a Hanukkah last Hanukkah, so about what, six weeks ago, seven weeks ago. Um, a group of Jewish kids, teenagers. Um, I only discovered recently the Israelis, but you know, from kids, religious kids who were being taken on a bus. And they, weren't, they weren't wearing Israeli flags or T-shirts, and they were dressed like religious Jews. And they were being taken on a tour of London, and in particular, they came to Oxford Street. Now, Oxford Street is the big shopping street of London. More CCTVs than cameras than anywhere else in the world. And where Harrods, the famous department store, is. And the, the bus stopped, and the kids got off the bus and started to make a little dance, a little rikida, uh, in the street. They were surrounded by a group of Muslim men who started screaming at them, spitting on them, F the Jews, Seek Heil in Nazi salutes, um, chased the kids back onto the bus, uh, then started to attack the bus, throwing things at the bus, banging in the windows, spitting at the bus. Very ugly. You can watch this online. It's clearly recorded. Um, and the BBC, when they, they reported this racist incident, said that, uh, that you can hear anti-Muslim slurs to Muslims, uh, being shouted back by the Jews at their attackers. Uh, the BBC then changed that to an, an anti-Muslim slur. So you've got a group of six guys shouting, F the Jews and Al Hitler, and apparently one kid shouted, Dirty Muslims. But that was the, that's how the BBC reported the story. And of course, in reporting it that way, just as you were talking about before, what you're doing is deflecting the severity of the attack by saying there was bad in both sides. But retreating from slurs to just one slur, it made it look a bit pathetic. But when that was analyzed, the recording, because of course people were recording this on their cell phones, it turns out that there was absolutely no anti-Muslim slur at all. One of the kids had spoken in Ivrit, in Hebrew, and said, this is very serious, very hoof. Uh, we need to get in touch with somebody, and somebody took that to the English saying dirty Muslim. So they confused Hebrew with English and plastered the Jews, the victims, with the label of perpetrator, letting, to a certain extent, the Muslims off the hook. Uh, the Jewish community supplied a forensic laboratory's uh, analysis of the recording, proving that there was not even one anti-Muslim slur, and the BBC simply refused to apologize 
or back down from its original report. Um, there was a demonstration outside the BBC by 250 Jews holding up placards saying, stop blaming Jews, BBC, stop blaming Jews. And that was that. It was their um, attempt to turn the Jewish kids who are the victims of a raw, nasty anti-Semitic attempt into the, the perpetrators and the refusal, refusal to back down. That was the straw that broke the camel's leg. You can't pretend that this is anything to do with Israel or the poor Palestinians or all that sort of stuff. No, this is an attack on Jewish kids which you will not report fairly or clearly. And I, want, I don't want my name associated with you anymore. Okay. Our guest today again is Rabbi Yehuda Yonah Rubenstein on his, in the, the BBC world as Rabbi YY. So the person to whom you submitted your letter of resignation, what position does that person hold? He is the Director General, the CEO of the BBC. Okay. He's called so he, Tim Davies. He's, he's like the top. He's, it doesn't he's get any, the guy. He's, he's, he's like the guy. It's him and then it's the queen, I suppose. It's so, him and then the prime minister. Okay. Okay. Understood. So now, was there mm-hmm. any reaction, any type of, well, you've had 30 years, it's been a good run, and here's a gold watch, and, or was it more like, <laughs> don't, don't, don't let the door hit you on the backside, bub, when on the way out? That's right, yeah. And here's your, here's your free Tesla uh, in appreciation for all your dumpers. Uh, yeah, the, he wrote a letter. And it was a standard uh, stuff about, you know, you're a brilliant broadcaster, we miss you, you're, people loved you, and we're sorry if you've had this decision, but we stand by our story. But uh, as of uh, today, it's got much worse. Uh, the BBC has now said they demand the identities, the names of the kids on the bus before and on, as a condition of taking their own internal inquiry into this any further. Now, what's that got to do with anything? Why do they need the kids' identity? And that puts the kids in danger, anybody who trusts the BBC. Um, why would you not be willing to look into whether or not you misreported this unless you know the names of the kids? You can see the video. You reported it. You broke the story. You said these kids were attacked. Why do you need their names? This has caused unbelievable anger. I didn't think it could get any worse for the BBC in their mishandling or their provocation of the Jewish community. Well, this is much worse. So I'm assuming people, voices in the BBC, are going to call for the Director General to stand down, to resign in shame, as he should. Do you expect that he will, Rabbi Waiwai? No. No. This is the BBC. There are only two types of people. BBC executives and higher management and peasantry. Mm-hmm. The unwashed masses, as we say, yes. That's right. The lump and Okay, so now we, as uh, the, we, the, the one of the local NPR stations does carry the BBC, we get them at 9 a.m. till 10 a.m. in the morning. Yes, you do. And then from midnight till 4 a.m. our time. Should should we just um, not hit that button on, when we're in the car and not listen to the BBC? Should we boycott, walk with our ears? Interesting question. Um, walk with your ears. <laughs> Here today, gone tomorrow. Right. Um, interesting question. Uh, look, again, let me just repeat. 
having worked there for 30 years, I've worked with some of the most talented, really talented, incredibly kind people who are very happy to share their experience with me. And I certainly became a much, much better broadcaster and a much, much better writer as I'm now finishing my, uh, my 14th book. I'm aware that my writing has been improved exponentially by uh, working with some of the most talented editors and uh, producers in, in the world. There are very talented people there um, and very good people. And frankly, the BBC is, 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 produces fabulous stuff. Fabulous stuff. Uh, it's just when it comes to Jews or Republicans, uh, you have to take everything they say with a large grain of prejudice. So if they're telling you that an ex there has been a volcano which has exploded in Greenland, and there is ash pouring into the atmosphere which might disrupt uh, air, air, air traffic, I think you could believe that. But if anything mentions the word Jews or Republicans, uh, then just ignore it. Assume it's not objective. Got it. Okay, that's going to do it. We unfortunately are out of time for this segment of the show. Today has been Rabbi Yehuda Yona Rubinstein, and uh, whose 15 minutes of fame has come because of something that he's no longer doing, but where's the uh, good Lord going to send you for your next turn of events, Rabbi YY? Well, my main job is flying all over the world, including to Detroit, incidentally, which I think is a great city. I enjoy it, like it very much. I like the Jewish community there, I like the non-Jewish community there very much. Um, so I usually, my, my income is flying around the world, giving Jewish talks. I would imagine that will carry on uh, writing books, teaching in schools and yeshivas. So I'm quite happy doing what I'm doing. But it's sad to have left something so much a part of me uh, behind Okay, wonderful. That's going to do it. Okay, we well, thank you so much, and uh, you. maybe keep a surprise when your next book comes out, and we'll uh, maybe talk about that too. Thank you so much. God bless. Okay, take care. We're going to take Good a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. Want assurance of quality and excellence in kosher? Look for the Michigan K on the label. What's it look like? The Lower Peninsula of Michigan with a K. It's the symbol of the Michigan Kosher Supervisors. Go to their website, mycosup.com. That's M-I for Michigan, K-O for kosher, and S-U-P for supervisors, mycosup.com, and find this month's featured products. You'll find Michigan K products wherever fine food is sold, especially at Natural Food Patch on West Nine Mile Road in Ferndale. There's Joel Finman here. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. Up for your listening pleasure. This is brand new. This is Shlomo Simcha and the Suffren Brothers, and the song is called Kan Sipur. I think this is one of those songs which is sung at weddings when people are sitting down and eating. It's about sending the mitzvah of sending away the mother birds. If you want it, the mother bird, if you want to take away, take the fledglings. Let's listen.
I hope you really enjoyed that. That was Shlomo Simcha and the Suffering Brothers. Up next, for your listening pleasure, this is uh, the Jerusalem Orchestra, and it's called, this is a piece which was done specifically for them. It is called Akko Salonika Istanbul. So it's sort of like you can imagine Middle Eastern type music. I think it's wonderful. Let's hope you enjoy it too.
We all know there's an opiate epidemic, but Advanced Rapid Detox has a solution for people addicted to pain pills, heroin, and dependent on Suboxone and Methadone. Advanced Rapid Detox performs detox under sedation in the hospital. Patients sleep through withdrawals and wake up without cravings. Dr. Julia Aronoff and the staff at Advanced Rapid Detox help people restore their lives and the lives of their families. Addiction affects everyone, even in the Jewish community, and Advanced Rapid Detox is there to help. Call 800-603-1813. That's 800-603-1813. Or visit them online at www.advancedrapiddetox.com. There's Shulfan in here. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. we got time for one more song. This is Nemul, who is from France, one of those people who has established himself as a one-name artist. And the song is Ad Echad, and, which means until one, which means when we're sitting and meditating, we should try and reach that goal is Ad Echad until we achieve the oneness with the Almighty. השאלות מצאו להן פינה לשבת אצלי היום הכל מובן בצליל קטן שמכוון רק Shalom 
Why go to a hospital to get healthy? At Encompass Healthcare, you get the state-of-the-art wound care like in a hospital. The same medicines, the same everything without being in a hospital. Why put yourself at risk of getting a hospital-borne infection? Did you know that last year, one in six people died in America because of infections they got in hospitals? Encompass Healthcare is an outpatient facility. That means you get your wound care treatment and then go home. There are no wait times at Encompass Healthcare like in ERs. Healthcare is personal and works better, faster, and easier. Encompass Healthcare provides a state-of-the-art outpatient facility close to where you live. Call 248-624-9800. That's 624-9800. Auto accident, workman's comp, and most insurance is accepted. Encompass Healthcare's goal is to get you healthy with as little disturbance to your daily activities. Call 248-624-9800. Hey, Schultzman here. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. The portion of the week is the portion of Beshalach. It is found in chapter 14 and following in the book of Exodus and has tremendously deep Bible stories in it. This is like, whoa. And it kind of uh, relates to on Monday nights, I teach a Tanya class, which is viewable on my Facebook page, which is uh, www.facebook.com slash rabbi.finman, if you can remember that. And uh, the we're up to the point of Kuntras Achran, which is way at the back of the book. So we'll be starting the book over again probably in a couple of months. And the first letter, uh, or the first uh, section of this Kuntras uh, Achron asks the question, why, what's the big deal learning about Bible stories? And the author said, I can understand if you're learning halacha, if you're learning you know, the philosophical parts of it, but it's just a story. <laughs> Not just a story. This stuff is uh, mind-blowing. So we have the, the the major story is the lead up to uh, the splitting of the Red Sea and the singing of the song Az Yoshir, which has been incorporated into the daily liturgy. But then after that, it doesn't it doesn't just like fall off the table and into oblivion. No, there's a whole bunch more. They could just make a whole portion just on the stuff after that follows. One of the things that happened there is that the Jews ran out of food in the desert. How much food could you carry? They're not bringing food enough. There, the plan was that they were going to travel uh, 49 days till they got to Sinai. Then Moses was going to be on the mountain for 40 days. And then they were going to pack up, which probably would take one day. They're going to travel 11 days and actually going to pack up for three days. That's what the thing was. It's going to take them three days to pack up and 11 days later, enter into Israel. Okay, so that would mean that they would need need to have taken food for, I didn't do the math yet, so I'm going to do this right now, for 91, uh, three and a half months. That's a lot of food for three million people. They didn't take that much food. They took enough, believe it or not, which is still an incredible amount of food, they took enough food for a month. When the food ran out, they came to Moses and said, we need food, which is 
<laughs> comparable enough. The, the thing that's always irksome about the Jewish people is the way that they do it. Oh, we should have, we should better, we've never left Egypt instead of dying in the desert of hungry, hunger, like, hello. Or what, as Moses pointed out, when did they come and complain? When they still had food left. They're on their last day. Tomorrow we're not going to have food. What are, you, what are you complaining about? Today you have food. Tomorrow you don't have food. You complain. Okay, so Moses had to allay their fears and tell them, don't worry, you got this far away. These are people who experienced the, the two greatest miracles to, to date, the, ex, the exodus from Egypt and the splitting of the sea, and now they're marching straight to get the, the Torah, which is the greatest miracle that's ever going to be wrought. And Moses is like, what, what's, what's wrong with you? Why don't you just wait a day and you'll see? It's like, don't complain you have nothing today when you have something today. Complain you have nothing tomorrow? No, makes no sense. What Now, so what happens is they get the, the stuff. It falls out of the sky. No one has ever seen it before. And they asked, Manhu, what is this stuff? And that's what this stuff was called. The word manna means what is it? Man is an Englishization of it. it. means what is it? And indeed, we hear the characteristics of the manna, that it tasted like whatever they wanted it to taste like. And for 40 years, they didn't go to the bathroom because there was no waste. It was totally, completely absorbed in their kishkas. And the stuff that they didn't collect, oh, they had to collect a specific amount if they collected less or more. When they got home, they got exactly the amount that they were supposed to get. They couldn't leave any over to the next day, except on Friday. And the stuff that didn't get collected melted and went into the streams, and then the animals would eat it, and then the, the nations around would hunt the animals and would be able, therefore, to also taste the man and say, this is, this is pretty, pretty cool stuff. The name that's given, it comes from the word ma. Ma means like a potential, a what. A what is this? You know, it's when you say, what is it? it could, if somebody, if you're asking the question, what is it? The answer is potentially infinite. It could be anything. Since you don't know what it is. So <laughs> my mother was very facetious at times. And you'd ask her something like, especially if she serves something new. And... Uh, You'd ask, what is this? And she'd say something like, it's pickled dirt. Or something something like that. You know, it's just like, what? Parach Hashem, Moses didn't tell the Jewish people it's pickled dirt. But <laughs> which, um, but I, I digress. It was because the Jews ate this stuff, which really had no culinary definition. It could not be uh, boxed. You might say you couldn't like the expression, put it in a box. You could not put the man in a box. It couldn't be limited in that way. It maintained this identity of whatness. It's this infinite potential. They ate this stuff for, for a month, a little less than a month. And then they got the Torah. And it's because they ate this stuff, this what stuff, that they're able to appreciate the giving of the Torah. Where are we going with this real quick? The world is a very limiting place. 
but we're told that we're here to introduce the unlimitedness of Hashem, of the Almighty, into the limitations. Indeed, the ultimate of this will be when Mashiach comes, when the Messiah comes, and there'll be this great revelation as described that the sun will be taken out of its sheath, etc., etc., etc. There'll be such great revelations that, this, that, that the revelation of, of Egypt will be considered like the candle in the noonday sun, which casts a shadow. Because what will happen is, is we'll see things as three-dimensional, but we'll see how each of those dimensions is actually infinite. And we'll see the infiniteness of God in everything. So that's the way it truly is. We just don't see it. What we have to work on now is understanding that the world can be a more godly place by the efforts that we put into it. We, unfortunately, I could talk about this for hours and hours and hours, and I have. And if you'd like to hear more about this, check out my Tanya class on Facebook Live, on my Facebook page, Rabbi Finman. And we'll talk about it some more. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be back with this amazing Hasidic story. Don't go away. You're listening to The Jewish Hour. Hi, this is Spex Howard. The Spex Howard School of Media Arts is proud to have been a sponsor of The Jewish Hour and bring quality radio programming to the community. While much of the funding comes from its sponsors, listeners like you help keep the Jewish Hour on the air. Please send your tax-deductible donation to the Jewish Hour, 1725 Pinecrest Drive, Ferndale, Michigan, 48220. That's 1725 Pinecrest Drive, Ferndale, Michigan, 48220. Your help is greatly appreciated. Thank you very much. Herschelman here, you're listening to the Jewish Hour. If you'd like to get in touch with me, the best way is at the website, which you're probably most listening to this radio show, right? Go to the when I'm done talking, go to the homepage and click on the contact us link, which is real easy to get to. And you send me some information, I send you some information, we become best buddies forever, and life is good. There's also archived editions of this show, there's also archived editions of other things which we do. We should put a link to Jewish Ferndale on there. I'll have to talk to my web webmaster, but you should also check out JewishFerndale.com, which is they're all under the same umbrella. And there's also the donations page. We're still playing with November. So, folks, let's get on the handle a little bit. We've been on air for 26 years, and it's only because of listeners supporting like yours that we've been able to do that. So go to the computer. Go to the donations page, click on a number that you like, make up your own number. Any number is good. Through PayPal, you can make it a monthly donation if you'd like to do it in small increments. That's fine. We have a bunch of people that do that. Make it one big one if you'd rather just do it that way. It's all good. There's no bad when it comes to this. And it's recognized by the Almighty as giving tzedakah. You can take it off your 10% because everybody has to give 10% of their income to charity. That's the way it works. It's recognized by the federal government as a charitable gift as the Jewish Hour is part of a 5013C corporation. And uh, God will love you. Do it. That's today. Do it today. I am running out of time. I really want to tell this story. And, and by the way, if I make up all three months before the end of January, I get to tell a longer story. This story involves the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe, whose uh, your site is on Monday night this week. It's the 10th of Shvat, 
And uh, there's a story that when the Friedrich Rebbe came to Philadelphia, he traveled around the world in 1929. He was expelled from Russia, given status, persona non gratis status, until he'll never come back to Russia, which was probably all, you know, that's like a blessing. And so he traveled around the world um, trying to see where would be the best place to settle for the most part and raising funds for his uh, projects in Europe. Um, having visited uh, America, he did not feel so so uh, anything wrong with coming to back in America during the beginning of World War II when he needed to get out of Poland. So he's in Philadelphia, and there's some guys, some, some 20-year-olds, that uh, they described as like hot shots, Jewish, Jewish people, who were members of the conservative temple in the youth group there. And they're talking, they heard something about the fact that the Lubavitcher Rebbe has declared himself a god, and he's replacing the Almighty. And this is like, this is like, wait, no, we, we got to go challenge them. He's in Philadelphia, and they they managed the, the address where he was was in the it was published in the newspaper. And they went to went there on a Saturday night. They rang the bell, and they saw that the uh, the parlor that was that was downstairs was packed with people. A the Rebbe secretary, who's Chachki Fagan, who passed away in the Holocaust. Opened the door, said, what do you guys want? And obviously he didn't speak any English. So they're speaking to him in Yiddish. So this is 1929. They're probably born in 1909, somewhere around there. They're fluent Yiddish speakers, like my mother was. And they said, we want to ask the rabbi a question. It's very important. So the secretary says, you can't see the rabbi unless you tell me what the question is. And they, not wanting to say, hey, we think the rabbi is trying to replace God, they came up with a question with, how does the rabbi expect that, or how can he make it such that an ancient religion should be able to be current in a modern America? Okay, so he says, okay, I got your question, he comes back. He came back down almost immediately. I said, the rabbi will see you right now. Because it's all these people in front. The rabbi wants to see you right now. And here was the Friedrich Rebbe. They saw him. He had a long black coat and he had a fur hat on. And it was the wintertime. And he looked the part of a Rebbe. He was short. Uh, I would say somewhere around 5'3", but a very powerful persona. And he himself was arranging the chairs. And he wanted to help. He said, nope, I'm doing this myself. Please sit down. And he shook their hands, which kind of took them about because they heard that Rebbe's aren't supposed, uh, Rebbe's don't shake hands. And he said, the first question you probably have is, why did I skip? Why did I have you guys skip the line? He said, look at these people over here. What do they want from me? One person requires an operation, and he wants a blessing. I'm not a doctor. He could pray to God the same way I could pray to God. There's another person who has a law case, and he wants to me to bless him that he should have success. I don't know what the other person's thinking. I don't know. Is it? And in the meantime, he could, he could seek the, the Almighty himself. Then there's another person who wants to go into a business, and he's asking my advice. If I was a businessman and knew a business advice, I'd be a rich man myself. But if I can't answer your question, then I don't deserve to be sitting here. And he said, my name is, and he said his name, he said his lectionerism. And does, there are 613 commandments. Now, it is impossible to do 613 commandments. It's just not physically possible. So what do I do? I say, I'm not going to do any of the 613 commandments? No. I say, 
I'm going to do as many mitzvahs as I possibly can, the best way I possibly can, because this is what the Almighty has afforded me to do. And this is how I'm presenting Yiddishkeit to America. They were floored. They were taken aback. The, the, the plug got pulled out of them. Their, 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 what's the expression? Spit and whatever was taken right out from them. They spent 10 minutes, and then they spent two hours on the porch as the story goes, they were sitting there standing, smoking cigarettes, which everybody did back then, and discussing. And they resolved then that, yes, they're going to do what the Rebbe said. And the person who wrote this article in 1980 said that wherever he had been, it has always been those words of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. And wherever he goes, he encourages people to do as many mitzvahs as possible. That's going to do it for us. We hope you enjoyed the show. We hope we had a chance to entertain you a bit. We hope you had a chance to educate you a bit. We hope you have a great week. We hope to see you back again next week. Take care. Many others, close to 400 and all. Slowly there was healing, darkened souls now mixed with light. Someone proudly cried out, Simchas Torah is tonight. We danced round and round in circles.